General Douglas MacArthur uh, was, was fond of saying, in war, all tragedy can be summarized in two words, too late. It was, it was MacArthur's opinion that no matter what terrible thing happened on a battlefield, someone was too late doing something, too late recognizing his own weaknesses or the weakness in his forces, too late training and bringing up other troops, too late in seeing what the enemy was planning or doing. Someone was too late. How many tragedies in our, in our families, in our churches, in, in our relationships can be summarized with those same two words, too late. Too late perceiving a danger. Too late to invest time. Too late to learn to care. Or how about this one? Too late in confronting something that needed to be confronted. Confrontation is incredibly uncomfortable. Engaging someone concerning something that that you believe must change for the health of the relationship, for the good of the other person, for the glory of Christ, that's really difficult. It's one of the most uncomfortable parts of relationships, but make no mistake, it's vital. It's important. Most of us, most all of us, do confrontation poorly for one of two reasons. Either we will avoid it at all costs. We tend to just not want to have that discomfort. So we sort of pretend everything is okay when inside we know that it's not. There's this weird kind of of hypocrisy where I make it seem like I'm okay with whatever, but inside I'm not. And then that goes on so long that we feel like, well, now it's been so long, I can't say something now after I've sort of enabled this for so long. That's about half of us. The rest of us have much less trouble doing confrontation. We just don't do it in a way where mutual flourishing can be the result. Well, maybe if we maybe if we understood what the Bible teaches about confrontation, maybe if we felt empowered, like it was it was a tool in our toolbox that we could use. Maybe those of us who tend to not use it would use it more, and maybe the rest of us who just have done it but not well could do it better. That's where we want to go this morning. We're going to begin the last chapter of the book of Galatians this morning, but it's really not at the beginning of any new section. It's just a continuation of of where we've been. This section of the book of Galatians has been all about 
Paul, the Apostle Paul, teaching us what the Christian life should look like, how our lives as Christians should be different from the life of a non-Christian. And make no mistake, it should be. How? Well, Paul has kind of summed it up most succinctly by saying, a Christian's life should be different because I should not be controlled by my flesh. My flesh is that part of me that wants me to be about me. And therefore, it encourages me to pursue things that are, that are sinful, that are immoral, that will give me temporary pleasure, but that are bad for me, ultimately, and bad for those around me, ultimately. Or it encourages me to be confront, confrontational is a bad word for this morning. We'll say angry, bitter, manipulative, a fighter and a biter, as Paul has said. We should be controlled instead by the Holy Spirit, which means, which will mean the Holy Spirit will grow out of me. The fruit of the Spirit we read about last week, what will grow from me miraculously is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Will that make us look different if that's what we look like? Of course Well, today, in a continuation of the same topic, Paul's going to teach the Galatians and we are going to learn together that we should look different from a non-Christian in the way we do confrontation. The Bible talks about confrontation a number of different places. We're not going to try to treat them all today. I will just just write this down for your own further study. This is probably the most famous passage on confrontation in the Bible. Jesus taught about how to confront someone who's in sin. You can just jot this down and read that later. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Jot that down. Don't turn there now. Stay with me in the first verse of Galatians, where we are going to learn all from one verse the when, who, why, and how of confrontation. When it might be necessary for me to confront someone who is qualified, in Paul's view, to do confrontation. Why or for what purpose I would want to confront another person. And then how should I go about it or in what manner should I go about confronting? Let's read our text. It won't take long. It ought fit on the front of your bulletin today. Galatians 6.1 reads this way. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And from that verse, again, we're going to answer when, who, why, and how should we confront? We start with when. When might it be necessary that you, as a Christian, confront someone else? Paul says, brethren, or we can understand it this way, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in any trespasser or sin. When might I need to confront someone else? Anytime someone else I know well sins. 
I don't have to confront every sin, but sin is what we should confront. There's something interesting about the construction of this Greek sentence I learned uh, from Dr. Richard Longenecker um, in his great commentary on Galatians. He said that, well, first, this is an if-then like statement sentence. That's called a conditional statement. You know what I mean by that? If this happens, then that will happen. That's a conditional statement. If it rains, then the streets will get wet. It's conditional upon the rain. So if someone is caught in sin, then we may need to confront. Dr. Longenecker, though, says this particular conditional statement in Greek, he calls a future more probable conditional statement. Here's what's so interesting about that. Here's what that means. It's not that Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, if by some chance, maybe someone you know well gets caught in a sin. No. He's saying, and it's going to happen. If you are in relationship with someone, you're in relationship with a person. And you know what people tend to do? Sin. We should expect this. We shouldn't be shocked when someone we know well and that we love does something dumb and that hurts and that hurts me. Now, I'm not saying we should be okay with it. Obviously, we shouldn't necessarily be okay with it. That's why Paul's telling us how to confront it. And I'm certainly not saying we shouldn't be hurt by it. I'm just saying we shouldn't be terribly shocked when people sin because it's kind of our thing. It's kind of what we do. We get selfish. We get in our flesh, as Paul would say. And we do stuff that God hates and that hurts those we love. Now, how do we respond when we are the ones that get hurt? That's what we're talking about. I am more and more convinced that one thing that controls how we respond when we are hurt is our view of God. One of the things I'm reading right now is a book by Brian Clark from Lincoln Berean. I want to recommend it to you. It's called God's Not Like That. It's really good. It's not about confrontation. The main premise of this book is that Brian says, no matter how each of us was raised, the way in which we are raised, like imprints us with some ideas about what we think God is like. And very often, God's not actually like that. So if a, if a parent that raised you or your parents or the foster system or however it is you were raised, if you were raised in a situation where it was pretty permissive and really nobody cared what you did um, uh, unless you, know, you, you, you did something really awful or you, you messed with their life. 
then you probably leave that thinking maybe God is, is like that. God really doesn't care. God's kind of permissive. But God's not like that. If you were raised in a home where the opposite was true, you, you couldn't possibly keep the rules well enough. You didn't even know where the lines were drawn. And, and suddenly you did something that made a parent angry and you were berated or beaten or whatever. Maybe you think God's like that. And if you were raised in a way, if, if your religious upbringing especially, made it seem like the only people God can really get along with, relate to, are people that, that keep the rules well enough to be considered good. And everyone else, God either doesn't have time for or he's angry with, he's hostile toward. If that's what we believe, then the topic we're talking about today is a place where that bad idea about what God is like will show up. Because God's not like that. God knows that you are going to sin before you sin the sin you're going to sin. Right? And God still wants you. He doesn't like the sin, approve of the sin, look the other way with the sin. But he wants to be reconciled and restored to you. God is not in heaven shocked and appalled when you sin. Because he knew of the sin before you sinned it. Maybe one reason we don't confront or we don't confront well is we are so busy being shocked and appalled at how dastardly this person can possibly be. And when I build the case of how bad they are, it gives me reason to remain separate. When God's not like that. Now again, expecting people to let us down and being okay with it are not the same things. But if the holy and righteous God of the universe can be sinned against and still pursue those who sin against Him, can still figure out in His heart how to get along with people who sin against him, maybe we should turn down the outrage just a smidge when we are the ones who are hurt. And I just want to point out one more thing before we go on. A sinner is the only one you can use this with. Like a real, live, honest-to-goodness sinner. When someone gets jammed up in a sin, this is when we do this. Sometimes I feel like we get the idea that when we confront, it's just the things that kind of annoy us, that kind of bother us. But when someone sins, a real life sin, we recoil so hard, 
that we're sort of done with them. This is for sinners. And real life people are going to give you plenty of opportunity to put this into practice. And you're going to give them opportunity as well. So when might it be necessary for a Christian to confront sin? Anytime someone we, re- we know well sins. Now, let's move on to who should be involved in confronting another. Who does Paul say is sort of qualified to confront someone in their sin? Paul says very simply, if someone else is jammed up in some kind of sin, you who are spiritual are to do the confronting. This wording is so intentional by Paul And it's so instructive to us. I want you to notice who Paul does not say is the right person to confront sin. Paul does not say, you who are innocent. You who have not messed up this time. He doesn't say, you who are moral. He says, you who are spiritual. That's an interesting word, isn't it? So what's that mean? Paul's already told us. Remember, we started a new chapter today, but we didn't change topics. We have to let Paul define Paul's terms. For Paul, the spiritual Christian is not the mystical Christian. It's not the person who gets lots of messages from God, dreams lots of dreams, does stuff like that. Paul just told us what a spiritual person, a spiritual Christian looks like. For Paul, the spiritual Christian is someone who is crucifying his or her flesh and has turned over the reins, the control of his or her life to the Holy Spirit. And the result of that The result of the Holy Spirit being in control of my life or your life will be this. The fruit of the Spirit will be that person will be growing miraculously to be enjoyed by other people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what a spiritual Christian looks like. That is is the person who's qualified to go confront someone else in their sin. And that is what we should look like during the confrontation. And that means, if we're honest, we're going to have to change some things in the way we do confrontation. Because if you're like me, left to your own nature your own flesh. When you're preparing to confront someone, you're not preparing to be like that. If you're like me, you're preparing the conversation and you've got your list ready of everything they have done, the reasons you are more innocenter than they are, right? The reasons I am right, the reasons they are wrong, So I can use those things to raise the temperature of this conversation so that they back down where I am right and they are wrong and I win and they lose. 
Paul says when we're like that, we're not a good candidate to confront because we're not spiritual. We're squarely in the control of our flesh. Glance up a few verses from where you just were, 519. Paul says the deeds of the flesh are evident, makes it obvious, and in that list are these things. The deeds of the flesh are enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, dispute, dissension, factions, and stuff like this. If my confrontation approach is filled with and fueled by these things, Paul would say, I'm in my flesh. I'm not the right person to go confront someone. And here's why. I cannot use my flesh to accomplish the Spirit's goals. When I do, and I do, when I use my flesh to fuel conflict, confrontation, like in this manner, What I am doing is assuming the moral high ground. Trying to get you to admit I'm a writer and you're a wronger. And we just can't do this. You know why? Because it will not aid what should be our purpose, which is what Paul tells us about next. So when... Might a Christian need to confront anytime someone we know well sins? Who is qualified to do it? Someone who is spiritual. Now, why or for what purpose should I confront? Paul says if someone is jammed up in some kind of sin, you are spiritual, should restore that person. There's our purpose. The Greek word for restore here, katartidzo, is the Greek word. Uh, it's an interesting word, katartidzo. In the Gospels, it shows up. Some of Jesus' disciples were fishermen, right? Uh, like commercial fishermen. And in the Gospels, when we see them on the shore mending their nets, like fixing the broken places in the nets, that's the word, katartidzo. The goal is to put that net back in working order. It's not to punish the net for being a lousy, rotten net. Outside of the New Testament in the Greek of this day, that word katartidzo is used of setting broken bones. If you've ever been, uh, if you've ever been down that road where you've had to have a bone set back in place, the goal is to get it restored to where it can be useful Again, that's a really instructive one because setting a broken bone can be painful, I understand. So can confrontation. But a good question here is restore that person to what? What is the ultimate purpose, the ultimate goal if I am going to come confront you or you are going to come confront me in some sin, what are we trying to restore each other to? 
Ultimately, if we're both Christians, we have to pay special attention to what the real problem is here. The real problem. Do you know the sin that you have seen in the other person isn't actually the main problem? It's a problem. Don't hear me wrong. But what has Paul just told us that their real problem is? In the previous paragraph, Paul just told us their real problem is they are in the control of their flesh and not the Holy Spirit. Our ultimate purpose in confronting another person is to restore them to the Spirit, to the Spirit's control. This is why it's so important that we be Spirit-controlled when we go do confrontation. Because I might be able to use my flesh to convert you to the control of my flesh. I might be able to raise the emotional temperature until you give up and back down and promise to quit it. But I can't use my flesh to get you back under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's between you and the Holy Spirit that is within you. I can encourage that by being spirit-led, spiritual. If you confront someone else and you are spiritual and you and by God's grace he encourages that person's confession and repentance and they're back under the spirit's control, you're going to get the obedience for free. You're going to get a change in behavior for free because if the Spirit is in control of that person's life, that just, that just happens. You're going to get an improvement in the relationship that you want. But the, the only lasting one is that the both of you are controlled by the Spirit. If you leave that confrontation and one of you feels like they won and one of you feels like they lost... I don't really care how much behavioral improvement happens temporarily. It's not going to last. The goal of the confrontation needs to be two people led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And if we're honest, when we're finally ready to go confront That's not our goal. When we're finally had enough and we're going to go confront, we're so far in our flesh. Our goal is to expose that person as a liar or a jerk or a cheat or whatever. To deliver the pain that I've been feeling because of this. The goal's got to be restoration to the Spirit's control, to the Lord Jesus first. And everything else will happen as a result that we really, truly want. So that's the when and the who I should be when I go confront and the why, the purpose, and now the how. How, in what manner 
should I go and confront someone else? This is sort of repetitive if we understand what Paul means by our being spiritual. Paul says, brothers and sisters, if someone is jammed up in some kind of sin, you who are spiritual, you should restore them. How? Well, in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. If we understand what Paul means by spiritual, the manner is kind of already taken care of, and it's a little bit repetitive, but it bears repeating. Because again, we should never think we are fighting God's battle. We are standing up for God's standards when we're operating in our flesh. In that Matthew passage I mentioned a a minute ago and had you write down, Jesus mentions the same goal a different way. In Matthew 18, the goal is to win your brother. Here Paul calls that uh, restore him. If our goal is to win our brother, for what? For for the Holy Spirit, for Christ. And if our goal is to restore them to the, the, the control of the Holy Spirit, which manner is most conducive to winning your brother? Gentleness or the opposite of that? This is why having the right, the right purpose in mind is so important because again, I can use my flesh to get some results, but the results will not be the right results. And if I have the correct goal, I want to win someone else back to repentance and walking with the Holy Spirit. If that's really my goal, then I will know, even if it's hard to pull off, I will know gentleness works better than harshness that I need to look to myself for my part in what has happened that is wrong. While I am building the list of all of the things this person has done wrong, maybe I should build the list of what I've done wrong too. If you really were restoring someone's bone, Remember when, when Adelaide was young, she, came, she jumped out of a swing, landed on her arm. She came in and her thumb was like right up here pointing that way. We had to take her to the hospital to get her bones set, restored. I wanted her bones set. I wanted them set well because I wanted her arm to work. But I wanted that doctor to be gentle. Because that's my little girl. If you're trying to restore someone to the right walk with the Lord and in your relationship, that's the kind of pain. It's the only kind of pain we should cause is what is absolutely necessary to get straightened back out.
When Paul says, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted, the context tells us what that means. I don't think Paul means, uh, the question here is tempted to what? I don't think Paul means, man, if you go confront that person about that sin, you better be careful or you'll just dive right in and sin that same sin they're sinning. I don't think that's what Paul means, though in certain situations I think that might be possible. But try to answer this question so that you too will not be tempted to what? Think about this. What is the person you're going to confront? What is their, their real problem that led to their sin? Their problem was they were operating under the control of their flesh. And so when you or I go confront that person, we had better look to ourselves, or else you and I, we will get tempted to operate in ours too. Isn't that true? And we will wind up having the same ultimate problem that they do or that they did that led to their sin. Again, the, the purpose of walking with the Spirit, that better be the ultimate goal or we're just going to have a flesh contest that's going nowhere good. This is one of those little passages that will cut you deep. I mean, when, if you just look back over the course of your life and think of the times that you have been in conflict, does the word gentleness characterize you? I mean, were, can you honestly say that your times of conflict, you've just been oozing with love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Me either. But family, we should be. We should be. We are called to be. And we can do this. Maybe I should say that differently. We can't do this, but the one in us can We've talked a lot in this, over the course of this book, about legalism. Legalism is just the idea that I can be more through my behavior than, than what I've been gifted through faith. This is one of the areas where legalism raises its ugly head the brightest and the starkest. Warren, the late Warren Wearsby, when he wrote about this verse, he wrote this, nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way the legalist treats those who have sinned. Now remember, it's been a while since we talked about this. But our premise going into this book was this. I am a legalist. Right? We all are legalists because we all think we can be more if I would just, if I can start, if I can stop, if I can quit, I'll be more. And then here's how that bleeds into conflict. Because then when I go to you, I just want to convince you why I am more and you are less. I'm more right, you're less right. I'm more righteous, you're less righteous. I'm better, you're worse. 
And maybe, maybe, just maybe, our ultimate problem besides tending to operate in the flesh is that we have a bad idea of what God is like. We have a distorted view of how God acts towards sinners. I would submit to you, most of the time as Christians, we do conflict incorrectly and we think we're being Christian while we do it. Because we've forgotten how God treats sinners. We've got a partial idea about how God treats sinners. It is true, God is holy, sinless, perfect, righteous, and just. And it is true that every time we sin, when we become sinners, and we are from birth, but when we sin, it is true, we fall so far short of God's righteousness and his standards of what would make us acceptable that what we truly deserve is condemnation and hell for all of eternity that is true and sometimes when we do conflict we have decided well i'm just being like god because i'm right and that moron is wrong And so the distance and the condemnation and the punishment that they're about to get is what's coming to them. And if they want to make this better, I'm going to give them the behavioral ladder to climb and we'll see. Family, praise God. God's not like that. Because God didn't stay distant and separate from sinners like you and like me. In fact, Paul to the Philippians, he wrote about it. He said Jesus emptied himself. He didn't stay distant and above. He took on the form. He became like us so we could, he could understand as our great high priest what it's like to live down here. He humbled himself to, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If the God of the universe decided to get into our mess to woo us, to restore us, to make things right with us. Like what right do we have to stay with the, the stiff arm and the cold shoulder and the punishment until? Briefly before we quit, What happens though if we do this correctly and the one we confront won't repent? I've done this. I've tried, Pastor. You don't get it. They won't change. 
Paul doesn't mention that here. Briefly, Jesus did in Matthew 18. Jesus said there does come a point where you treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. Paul, to the Corinthians, this unrepentant man, Paul said this, this sounds really harsh, turn this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What's that mean? Well, let's, let's look at this for just a second. How does Jesus want us to treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Be really mean? Bitter? Angry? Punishing? Of course not. He wanted to win Gentiles and tax collectors. He didn't convince them they were one when they weren't. Second, look at this. Turn this man over to Satan. Why? For the destruction of his what? His flesh. How does Paul use the word flesh? Paul was not saying, turn this man over to Satan so he can burn in hell forever and ever. You know how we know that? Because he said, so his spirit can be saved in the last day. Paul just said, there, there comes a time where you have to say, listen, we're going to have to dis- agree to disagree here. What you are pursuing is not going to give you what you want. It's not going to hold your joy. It's, that pleasure is fleeting. And I will be here when that all burns down. But we never get, we never get the the biblical permission to get into our flesh and dole out the punishment that we think the other person might deserve. Sometimes, uh, probably more often than we would like to admit, confrontation is necessary. And it's good. And it's right. But what should it look like? What should I look like if I'm going to do it? I should look like Jesus. And when I picture him refusing to stay on the high ground, but instead coming down here, to help me, to restore me, that makes it much easier to do the same for someone else. Hasn't he lowered himself to love me? Hasn't he been gentle yet firm? How should we look? Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. How? In a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted to operate in your flesh, which is what they did that got them in this mess to begin with. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful that you came for us. You would have been right and just to stay separate and to just give us condemnation, wrath, punishment, and separation in response to our sin. But you're not like that. I mean, you are, but not toward us. You lowered yourself. You became like us, like you didn't start sinning our sins, but, but you 
found, you came in common with us so you could understand us, to, to woo us, to change us, and to restore us to your glory. God, as we consider what the Christian life should look like, how we should be different from the rest of the world, boy, isn't this it? Make us confronters. But God, make us confronters who are spiritual in the Pauline sense of that word. That we might find the joy of seeing repentance. That my confrontation would not be about me being righter, but just about you being better. And that you'd be glorified in the way you change others and you would be the credit for doing what only the Spirit can do miraculously within us and within others. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.